What's up, everybody, and welcome to the podcast. Our mission, as always, is to equip the worship leader for spirit and truth worship. And so today, we're talking about Jesus. Uh, we're talking about Christology, uh, the study of Christ. And I think it's important as we are striving for the balance between spirit and truth worship, it is of the utmost importance that we have the right truthful Jesus, that our affections, uh, our, our heartfelt adoration is outflowing towards the right Jesus. I actually want to start here uh, in John chapter 1, and we're going to look at a couple of uh, passages today that really talk about Jesus. And I, I'm talking about Jesus in the New Testament, but I do want to caveat and say that um, Christ seems to reveal himself in the Old Testament in um things that we call um, Christophanies. Uh, theologians use this word Christophany for an appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament. And I think it's important to at least know that that happens, uh, but we're not going to be digging too much into that today. Uh, let's start in John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so just here in the first uh, handful of verses in chapter uh, one of the book of John, we get some Christology. Uh, we're learning about the correct Jesus. I, I love that, that we're going to talk about him being before all things. He was there in the beginning. We're also going to get a title here that's given to him, and that is Word or Logos. He is the logic of God on display. He is the Word of God on display, made tangible, put in flesh. Um, the Word was with God. There was a, a, a co-inhabiting, a fellowship between God the Father and Jesus. Um, that's just in the beginning of verse 1. At the end of verse 1 says, and the word was God. And in the Greek, uh, there is no uh, indefinite article. The word was a God, uh, as some believe. In the Greek, it actually says that the word was definite article God. He is God, a very God. He is as God as God the Father is in the same uh, in the, the same word that's used for God. He inhabits the fullness of that same word, God. He is God, a very God. And so right in the beginning, you can see that he was there at the beginning. He was with God. He was on a level playing field with God, and he, in fact, was God. Um, and we're going to talk about this a little bit when we get into Colossians, Colossians chapter 1. But the argument might go that he, uh, Jesus was created by God. But verse 2 actually eliminates that. And so sometimes when you read in the beginning, because I mean, if, you, if you're thinking through in the beginning, you know you've heard that phrase before. Well, that's how the whole Bible actually starts. Um, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John here, the author, is actually grabbing that same context. And he wants us to understand that the Jesus that we worship, the Jesus that he's proclaiming through this book, was actually there at the same beginning in which the heavens were created. So the argument could be made, that he was a created being. Well, hold on. Look at verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Okay, we've placed him in the context of the beginnings. 
and verse three, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus has to be before everything that was made. In other words, for Jesus to have been created, he would have had to be there to be created through. That doesn't make any sense so that we know that Jesus was before or preeminent everything that was made. And without him, not anything that was made was made, that God created through him everything that we see. And so that there's a relationship between God the Father and I'm going to say now, God the Son, Jesus, that God, when he created the earth, actually created it through uh, the looking glass, the lens of Jesus and who he is, that there was a togetherness, a fellowship in that. Um, Verse four, in him was life and life was the light of men. And so Christ in and of himself embodies life. Uh, I love what C.S. Lewis would say. He would say that how can we who have been separated from God, who in his very nature is life, not but wither and die. That true life and purpose is found only in one Jesus. And his life becomes the light in the darkness, the only hope. I love that the, the word light right there, it, it reminds me of hope. It reminds me of, of seeing a glimmer in the darkness, that that is the only way that we can have purpose and fulfillment. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it, that Jesus will ultimately be victorious. And I think that that's an important part of our Christology that we'll get into in a second. I want to turn now to Colossians chapter 1. And I'm going to start in verse 15. So from John 1.1, we're learning that Jesus is before. And look here in Colossians 1.15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross." is absolutely one of my favorite passages on Jesus, and we'll go through it real quickly here. He's the image of the invisible God. When we think about God the Father, we have enough information in the Bible to know that he is a spirit being, that he is not a physical being, but a spiritual reality. Then when he incarnated himself into Jesus, when Jesus became flesh and took on man, that invisible God that God who exists outside of the dimension of sight as we know it became visible and tangible and you could touch him and you could hold his hand and you could wrap your arms around him and he around you. Uh, That's really important to understand. He is the image of the invisible God. I want to talk for a second about this firstborn of all creation and that kind of bounces over over here into verse 18 where it says he's the firstborn from the dead. This does not again mean that Jesus was created. Because if Jesus was created, if he was first born in the way that we think of born, entering into time space for the first time, then he would have to be there before to create himself. Um, I think what this is saying is that he has the preeminent 
title of humanity. He is the firstborn who receives the first fruits of the first inheritance, and that he now is the one who has the authority to pass that inheritance on as he sees fit. Um, firstborn from the dead to his really unique um, phrase about Jesus, because we know that he's not the first one to resurrect, or at least seemingly. We know that he revives or resuscitates um, a few people in the, uh, in the Gospels. And so what about that? What about the young lady that he, um, that he resuscitates? What about the brother of Mary and Martha that he seems to resurrect? Um, I, I want to argue here that the firstborn from the dead actually means that he's the first one to resurrect and not die again. Um, And I think that that is a key distinguishment that when Jesus resurrects, he will not die again. And so in the same way, the resurrection that we're looking forward to and following after Jesus and following uh, his steps is one where we will die, be resurrected, and then will not die again. He's the firstborn from the dead. Firstborn, there's going to be more born. That's us. That's the church. But we follow after him in that. Uh, back, bouncing back down to verse 16, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. This is kind of echoing John 1 uh, and verse 1 and 2 but I, and 3, but I love here that he's now, uh, the, the writer Paul is going to clarify um, that he is the creator, the creator of, he, by him all things were created in heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him, that he is the chief subject of the story of redemption. It's about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. He is before all things. And I love this. And in him, all things are held together. And I want to, I would love to get into some, you know, scientific theory about, you know, what's holding a cell together. And I think it might be the presence and existence of Jesus. Um, I'm not going to get into that right now, but I just love the imagery that he is the glue that is holding our universe as we know it together. He is the thing that brings us together. He is the thing uh, that that is holding us in place. Uh, and so if John 1.1 is talking about Jesus being before all things, I want to say that Colossians 1.15 is saying he's between all things, that he is existing in between everything that we know, and he is he is at work and he's moving. Um, I love that it also talks about his mission here. He is the head of the body, so he is the chief shepherd, the, the senior pastor of this movement called the church. He is the boss of it. Um, and that he has a job, and that job is to reconcile, verse 20, to himself all things. His job is to reunite and restore everything that is broken uh, about what? About all things, whether on earth or in heaven. And he's done that by making peace by the blood of his cross. His job is to reconcile. And he has now passed on the ministry of reconciliation to us. I think that that's so helpful as worship leaders to understand. And I want to read just one more verse, Philippians chapter 2. This is called the kenosis or the emptying. And I think that um, it's important as we understand Jesus as before and between and preeminent and high and exalted and lifted up and, and that the story is all about him, that we understand how he accomplished this. Verse five of chapter two says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing 
taking the form of a servant, being in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The reality is that though God is, though, though Jesus is God of very God, he is the tangible image of God. He is the God that you can hold and see. The fact of the matter is, is that he has lowered himself, condescended himself, debased himself to the point of becoming a man. And when he became a man, he not only became a man, but he lowered himself even further, taking the bottom rung of humanity and becoming a slave. I love that, that the verse 6 says he was the form of God. He's the tangible expression, the physical presence of God. But he was not trying to say that he was equal with God with us because he was lowering himself. He, 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 though he is God of very God, he emptied himself of the title of God so that he could be made a servant and be put on the cross. Um, and I think it's important to understand that our God, Jesus, Jesus, God, a very God, is a humble God. And that he has no problem lowering himself that he ought be able to reach us in our lowly state. Um, he humbled himself to the point of death, not only death, but one of the most excruciating deaths that humanist, humanity has thought up of, and that is the cross. And understand that I love the word therefore in verse 9. Because of this, because of the heart of Jesus to be humiliated and, and lowered, God has now highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. How did he do that? By the story of redemption, the story of the cross. And I love the distinction here that every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. Uh, if you remember that Jesus in, in Colossians 1.15 was reconciling everything in heaven and on earth to himself. But this is even extending past that, that even those under the earth are going to bow and worship him because of how highly exalted God is going to make him. Um, I think a good Christology, it inspires me. And this is the beauty of, of spirit and truth worship is that if you study the Jesus that you worship, your heart starts pumping and your blood starts moving and affections and adoration come out when you realize what he's accomplished on our behalf. When you realize that the story of redemption is 66 books written by 40 different authors over the span of 5,000 years and yet tells one distinctive story, the story of Jesus and how he is reconciling all things to himself. When you realize the brevity and the gravity of that, 
It inspires your heart to worship. These two, spirit and truth, just circling each other and inspiring uh, each other more and more. Because the more I'm inspired to uh, pour out heartfelt adoration and affections to Jesus, guess what? The more I want to know about him and the more I want to know him and understand him. And so worshipers, worship leaders, let's be a people that study and show ourselves workmen approved, rightly dividing the word of truth, and let that inspire our hearts and, 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 and bring life to what we do.